0: Credit approval, terms apply. So, IXL Learning is a multi subject online program for kids, and it's used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the US. 14 million students use it. And if you have kids who are trying to get ahead, or if they're struggling with certain subjects, or studying for a test that's coming up, IXL is this personalized learning tool that you can use to help kids learn what they need to learn faster. And they have programs K through 12. So there's something for every level. And some of my nieces and nephews have been homeschooled. And so my family has used tools like this to supplement curriculum or to brush up or to sharpen skills. IXL Learning has won tons of awards and so many students have benefited from it. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get iXL now. And Ologies listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com slash Ologies. So visit iXL.com slash Ologies to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Oh, hey, it's that person who's too chicken to post on Nextdoor, but would like to urge you to stop shooting illegal fireworks into the trees. Especially since 4th of July was last week. Hallie Ward, back with a follow up episode of Oligies. You thought, wait, wasn't this bitch giving us a bonus episode about the Constitution? Where was it? Well, it was smoldering over the coals all holiday weekend here in America. Truth be told, I spent the long weekend cleaning out my parents' shed in the woods, and I got filthy, and I have some new bruises, but I feel tough, and I loved every minute. I also ate scrambled eggs out of leftover hot dog buns. Let me tell you, that's a damn breakfast miracle right there, my babies. Okay, anyway, nomology, part two, it is here. So if you're brand new to ologies, and thank you New York Times and Wired Magazine this week, um, this is a weird one because it's a part two to last week's. So it's kind of like when two people are a horse costume, but this is only me in the ass and running around with no head. Because the nomology guest... Professor Fernita Tolson, was in the first half. Now it's just me. I'm just bringing up the rear, literally reading you a very, very old document. So if this is your first ever episode of Ologies, start elsewhere. Just pick another one. Pick another episode. Or at least start with last week's part one. So you're just about to get, in this one, gently walloped with all of the words of the United States Constitution. And when I say you, I mean myself also, because guess what? I've never read the thing. I don't know what it says, yet these words govern my civil liberties. And the 2020 election is just sitting on the edge of our beds like a specter. And the best thing any of us can do is just know what the bejeebers is happening in the government. My hope is that maybe by reading this together, one ologite out there will run for an office. I don't know, city council, mayor of a tiny seaside hamlet, president of Earth maybe student government. It doesn't matter to me, except that it does very deeply. So I'll be reading the constitution with some inserts just to clarify what the hell it means. Then we'll be back with a regularly scheduled episode about bleach next week. So finally, all of your chemistry itches will be scratched. Well, some of them. Okay, but before we get cracking on this, two things. Uh, thank you to all of your ears and your hearts for listening to the show, for buying ologies-related products at ologiesmerch.com, and also for free for rating and subscribing, for telling a friend. Some of you leave me reviews, which you know I sneak peeks at every week, and I read one like a creep, so that I can lovingly regurgitate it back to you. Like this week, from DBW84 who says that they want to play Magic the Gathering with Allie Ward. That's me. And that my brainscape is a playground of neuroses and critically incisive snark that they could play in all day. And I feel attacked and seen by that. So thank you. Also, I'm just gonna throw out thank you to Raymond from California who says that ologies satisfies like a good sneeze because I really like a good sneeze also. Okay, nomology, the study of laws continues. So last week we heard from Professor Fernita Tolson of USC's Gould School of Law, a constitutional law scholar who makes me want to be smarter and be more well informed, and who inspired this epic reading of the U.S. Constitution. I'm a little bit nervous. Whew. We're going to do this. So if you haven't heard part one yet, it's waiting for you. Go listen, then hop on back. Finish this one up. Okay. To recap, the U.S. Constitution was drafted in 1787. It was ratified in 1788. That went into effect 1789, and then the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, were created in 1789 for a bunch of people who objected to federalism. They were ratified in 1791. And then there are 17 more amendments that were just created and passed over the years. So buckle the hell up as I now deliver to you on a silver platter, albeit ever so slightly patinaed, but still cherished, all 7,591 words of the United States Constitution, including amendments for this part two of Namology. Right, breathe in. America, I'm going to understand you so hard right now. Okay, so, the preamble, a.k.a. why are we even writing this, goes, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Article one, section one, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. So they're saying we're calling this business collectively Congress. Okay, section two, this is about the House of Representatives. Different states have different numbers of reps. So Wyoming, you have half a million residents. Rhode Island, has double that and is only 1,200 square miles. Now Los Angeles County, where I live, is 4,000 square miles and has 10 million people, which is why you can order a pizza and it will come to you faster than an ambulance. And I'm speaking from experience. Anyway, state representation. Back to it. Okay. The House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the United States, and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and been seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which... He shall be chosen. Hmm, he. Fine. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union, according to their representative numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed three-fifths of all other persons. More on that part later. Now the actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting in the Congress of the United States and within every subsequent term of 10 years, in such manner as they shall by law direct. Now the number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative, and until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island and Providence Plantations 1, Connecticut 5, New York 6, New Jersey 4, Pennsylvania 8, Delaware 1, Maryland 6, Virginia 10, North Carolina 5, South Carolina 5, and Georgia 3. When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Okay, so what does that mean? So to be a senator, you have to be 25. There are two-year terms, and number of members of the House are issued according to population. Now, did you catch that racism regarding indigenous and black people? Yep. It's just a reminder that plenty of folks writing this owned people. More on that later. Okay. The leader of the House is the Speaker of the House, picked by the members. And right now, that's Nancy Pelosi. Now, this person is second in line to the presidency. Should a pterodactyl screech as a blur through the sunset and eat both Don Trump and Michael Pence? Who does this? Section three. But let's talk Senate people. Each state gets two senators. Wyoming gets two. Rhode Island gets two. L.A. County, hmm, they have to share two with the other 39 million Californians, kind of like having one bathroom in a sorority house. Now, the best idea, maybe not, but it's what we got. Okay, the Senate, let's proceed. Also, whenever you hear the word he, just replace it in your mind with he or she, or even better, they, and just try to breathe through it. I'm going to read it verbatim as it was written so that we can use it as fuel to get fired up about continuing to change things. Okay? So this is Article 1, Section 3 about the Senate. Now, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislature thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Now, this is going to change later. Immediately after, they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, and they shall be divided as equally as may be into three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one third may be chosen every second year. And if vacancies happen by resignation or otherwise during the recess of the legislature of any state, the executive thereof may make temporary appointments until the next meeting of the legislature, which shall then fill such vacancies. No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained the age of 30 years and been nine years a citizen of the United States and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state. For which he shall be chosen. The Vice President of the United States shall be President of the Senate but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. The Senate shall choose their officers, and also a President pro tempore in the absence of the Vice President or when he shall exercise the Office of President of the United States. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, they shall be on the oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office, and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. So, Article 1, Section 3 means, in summation, Senators, you got to be at least 30, you serve for six years, each state has two of them, And the vice president leads the Senate and doesn't vote unless there's a tie. Also, this one will get a little tweaked in the amendments. Just hold your horses. But also, that laid down some law for impeachment. Okay, Section 4, Article 1. The Times places and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meeting shall be on the first Monday in December, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. So the Congress is elected according to state rules, and kind of like gutter cleaning and pap smears, they got to do it at least once a year, folks. They got to do it at least once a year. It's just good practice. Article 1, Section 5. So each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members. And a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business. But a smaller number may adjourn from day to day and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. I'll explain this in a minute. So each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and, with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. So each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings, and from time to time publish the same, accepting such parts as may in their judgment require secrecy. And the yeas and nays of the members of either house on any question shall, at the desire of one-fifth of those present, be entered on the journal. Neither house during the session of Congress, shall, without the consent of the other, adjourn for more than three days, nor to any other place than that in which the two houses shall be sitting. So what does that one mean? This means Congress needs a minimum number of people showing up, and it can fine you for not showing up, kind of like a library book. And members can be given ye old boot, if they're jerks, if they're disorderly, and each house can keep a log of the dealings and the votes. And that house and Congress can't peace out and adjourn without the permission of the other one. Kind of like if you show up at a party with someone, you shouldn't Irish goodbye without at least telling them, because it's just rude. Okay, Article 1, Section 6. The senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the Treasury of the United States. They shall in all cases, except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respected houses and in going to and returning from the same. And for any speech or debate in either house... They shall not be questioned in any other place. No senator or representative shall, during the time for which he was elected, be appointed to any civil office under the authority of the United States, which shall have been created, or the emoluments whereof shall have been increased during such time. And no person holding any office under the United States shall be a member of either the House during his continuance in office. So what does this one mean? Members of Congress have to get paid... They can't be detained going to or from Congress, and they can't have multiple government gigs while holding office. just like, do the one, they're saying. That's enough. Okay, let's move on. Article 1, Section 7. This is how bills become laws. He signed your bill, now you're a law. And it's kind of like reading the rules for a board game. It's annoying until you get how it works. So, the Constitution says... All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. Every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate shall, before it becomes a law, be presented to the President of the United States. If he approve, he shall sign it, but if not He shall return it with his objections to that house in which it shall have originated, who shall enter the objections at large on their journal and proceed to reconsider it. Now, after such reconsideration, two-thirds of that house shall agree to pass the bill. It shall be sent together with the objections to the other house, by which it shall likewise be reconsidered, and if approved by two-thirds of that house, it shall become a law." But in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays, and the names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered on the journal of each house respectively. If any bill shall not be returned by the president within ten days, Sundays accepted, after it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be law, in like manner as if he had signed it unless the Congress, by their adjournment, prevent its return, in which case it shall not be law. I'll explain that in a second. Now, every order, resolution, or vote to which the concurrence of the Senate and House of Representatives may be necessary, except on a question of adjournment, shall be presented to the President of the United States, and before the same shall take effect, shall be approved by him or being disapproved by him, shall be repassed by two-thirds of the Senate and House of Representatives according to the rules and limitations prescribed in the case of a bill." So what is that gobbledygook? So, bills have to pass the House and the Senate, but all bills have to pass both houses of Congress in the exact same form, same words. Now, bills that pass both houses are sent to the President. The President can either sign the bill, making it a law, or nope it. Yeah, no. In which case, it gets kicked back to Congress And if two-thirds of the folks in both houses, yes, it, it supersedes that presidential, Uh uh-uh. If the president ignores it and doesn't veto or sign it, it becomes a law after 10 days. But if the Congress adjourns and the president doesn't sign it, it's vetoed. Got it? Cool. Let's move on to Section 8. Article 1, the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. To establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. To coin money, regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin and fix the standard of weights and measures to provide for punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States to establish post offices and post roads, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries, to constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court, to define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offenses against the law of nations, to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water, to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for longer term than two years, to provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for calling forth the militia, to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections and repel invasions, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively, the appointment of the officers, and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square, as may by session of Particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of the government of the United States, and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings, and to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. So what does that mean? Congress can establish an army and navy. They can make some post offices. They can make some courts. They can declare wars and they can raise cash. Fighting, laws, money, postcard stamps, all the essential ingredients for a nation. Now, section nine coming up puts limits on Congress. So section nine, article one, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808. But a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended, unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. More on that in a second. No bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed. No capitation or other direct tax shall be laid, unless in proportion to the census or enumeration Erin before directed to be taken, no tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state. No preference shall be given by any regulation of commerce or revenue to the ports of one state over those of another, nor shall vessels bound to or from one state be obliged to enter, clear, or pay duties in another. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law and a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept of any present, emolument, office, or title of any kind whatsoever from any king, prince, or foreign state. Now, this next part's in the news a lot. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept of any present, emolument, office, or title of any kind whatsoever from any king, prince, or foreign state." Okay, so what does all that mean? So the writ of habeas corpus can't be suspended. And I'm like, okay, I I don't know what that means. I don't even know what a writ of habeas corpus was. And truth be told, I had to look up how to pronounce that. But it sounds like a Norwegian metal band or a horror movie set in a medieval village. I looked it up and one legal glossary says that it translates in Latin to you shall have the body in court, and it means that it's something used to bring a prisoner or other detainee like an institutionalized mental patient before the court to determine if the person's imprisonment or detention is lawful. So that can't be suspended. Also, laws after the fact are also a no, as are state preferences, money, lifted from the treasury without a law, because duh. And also, let's not give ourselves title like the Queen of Ohio or the Marquis du Bakersfield. Not in this dang country, you don't. Moving on, Article 1, Section 10. So no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation. Grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any imposts or duties on imports or exports except what may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws, And the net produce of all duties and imposts laid by any state on imports or exports shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all such laws shall be subject to the revision and control of the Congress. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. So that means states can't make navies or declare war. They can't make their own money or otherwise just kind of wild out as outlined above. States can, however, encourage residents to get thinly drawn outlines of their borders tattooed on personages of residents as a pledge of allegiance to their united states territory of birth it's not a rule but y'all know i love a tattoo image search and i just googled state tattoo and i will say california home to what some might call justified narcissism seem to be the most prominent in all of the state tattoo returns with Texas edging in as maybe a close second. But I just want to give some major creative points to the folks who got the entire US map tattooed on them with just empty state boundaries filled in as they're visited. That's legitimately, that's hella cute. It's hella cute. But the biggest kudos goes to the man on who submitted, for our enjoyment and our judgment, his state's outline, situated in his moist, hairy armpit and emblazoned with the script, Garden State. So New Jersey, you win. So did you like Article 1 of the Constitution? Great, let's do Article 2 next and establish the executive or presidential branch of the government. Again, every time you hear the word he, just replace it in your mind with they, remember things only change when we make some noise. So article two, section one, the executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term, be elected as follows. Each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators, and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. But no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. Now, this all was changed later, but... The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons of whom one shall least not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves, and they shall make a list of all the persons voted for and of the number of votes for each, which list they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States directed to the President of the Senate. The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House Representative, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes shall be the president. If such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed. And if there be more than one who have such a majority and have an equal number of votes, then the house of representatives shall immediately choose by ballot. One of them for president. And if no person have a majority, then from the five highest on the list, the said house shall in like manner choose the president. But in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states. The representative, the representation from each state having one vote. A quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the Senate, and a majority of all the states shall be necessary to a choice. In every case, after the choice of the president, the person having the greatest number of votes of the electors shall be vice-president. A quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the Senate, and a majority of all the states shall be necessary to a choice." Now this part is cute. In every case, after the choice of the president, the person having the greatest number of votes of the electors shall be the vice president. But if there should remain two or more who have equal votes, the Senate shall choose from them by ballot the vice president. The Congress may determine the time of choosing the electors and the day on which they shall give their votes, which day shall be the same Throughout the United States. No person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of President. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. It continues, and this little part's going to be changed later, but in case of the removal of the president from office or of his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the said office, the same shall devolve on the vice president. And the Congress may, by law, provide for the case of removal, death, resignation, or inability, both of the president and the vice president declaring what officer shall then act as president and such officer shall act accordingly until the disability be removed or a president shall be elected. Again, spoiler alert, we'll address that in an amendment later. Now, the president shall at stated time receive for his services a compensation, which shall neither be increased nor diminished during the period for which he shall have been elected. And he shall not receive within that period any other emolument from the United States, or any of them, before he enter on the execution of his office, he shall take the following oath or affirmation, quote, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States, and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. To recap. Article 2, Section 1, which was a whopper. There is a prez, there is a vice prez, and the Electoral College picks them both. The number of electors in each state is the number of senators, which is two, plus the number of house reps, which depends on the population. Now, the Founding Fathers thought that this would protect us from a tyrant manipulating the minds of the people and also the slaveholding South used it as a way to attain electoral votes by counting each human they owned as three-fifths of a person, yet, of course, not allowing those people to vote. So more on all this when we get to the 12th Amendment. Also, back then, the vice president was runner-up of the race, kind of like Justin Guarini or Clay Aiken or Adam Lambert. Just Runners-up on a long-running America's Most Trusted Person on Stage contest we call the United States. But what can the president do? I'm glad you asked. That's why there's section two of article two, the president shall be commander in chief of the army and Navy of the United States and of the militia of the several states. When called into the actual service of the United States, he may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. He shall have the power by and with The advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties provided two thirds of the senators present concur, and he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for. and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone and in the courts of law or in the heads of departments. The president shall have the power to fill up all vacancies that may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions, which shall expire at the end of their next session. So what does all this mean? The president commander-in-chief of the armed forces and of the militia of all the states. President can pardon criminals, can pick judges and SCOTUS members, and also makes treaties. Another perk, there's a bowling alley in the White House. Did you know that? So if you like influencing millions of people's civil liberties for decades to come, and also bowling, Maybe the office of the president is for you. Do you think you're going bowling now? Now, let's get to Section 3 of Article 2. More about the president. He shall, from time to time, give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. He may on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them, and in case of disagreement between them with respect to the time of adjournment, he may adjourn them to such time as he shall think proper. He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed, and shall commission all the officers of the United States." So, what does Section 3 mean? Duties of the leader of America include, give a State of the Union address, why don't you? Hang out with some ambassadors. Give advice to Congress if they need it. Make sure the laws are carried out. And generally, please, don't be an evil turd. I added the last part. You did? Speaking of, this next article talks about a little thing called impeachment. Section four says the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. So, though we like to think of impeachment as 300 million people breaking up with you all at once, it's actually just the first half of the dumping process. Now, Andrew Johnson, the VP who slid into the presidential role when Lincoln was assassinated, was both super racist and also impeached. But he stayed in office because of one vote in the Senate, and he escaped the consequences that two-thirds Senate majority would have brought on. Oh, Bill Clinton was also impeached for lying about being a predatory saxophone wielding horn dog. But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. But he was acquitted and he remained in office. So, just in case you think impeachment is the finish line, just know it's really like the starting blocks but it's still exciting. Hey, let's talk about the judicial branch. Okay, let's. Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution says, The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one supreme court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may, from time to time, ordain and establish. The judges, both of the supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall, at stated times, receive for their services a compensation, which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. So SCOTUS for life and they can't get a pay cut while they still have the job. Now, this next part is about the kinds of cases they'll hear. Section two of article three says the judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made, which shall be made under the authority to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consults to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction to controversies to which the United States will be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and a citizen of another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state, claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizen thereof, and foreign states, citizens, or subjects." In all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction, both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. The trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be by jury, and such trial shall be held in the state where the said crimes shall have been committed. But when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such a place or places as the Congress may, by law, have directed. So, what does this Section 2 mean? The SCOTUS, hears some federal cases, and others by appeal, and in criminal court, will leave it up to a jury. Now, spoiler alert, this will be changed via Article 11, in 1795. More on that later. Hey, what's treason? Oh, it's this. Section three says treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. The Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. Hmm. That's treason. Article 4 is about the states. And what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. If you're married there, it applies to the other states. And if you run away to one state after committing a crime, they shall drag ye arse back to the state in which thou hast crimed. So article four, section one says, full faith and credit shall be given to each state Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state, and the Congress may, by general laws, prescribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved, and the effect thereof. Section 2 says, The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in several states. So, a person charged in any state with treason or felony or another crime who shall flee from justice and be found in another state, shall on demand of the executive authority of the state from which he fled be delivered up to be removed to the state having jurisdiction of the crime. No person held to service or labor in one state under the laws that if you run away to one state after committing the crime, they'll drag you back. Now, this last part. No person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof escaping into another shall in consequence of any law or regulation therein be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. Now that last clause was about fugitive slaves. In case you forgot that this was written in a time when only white men made laws and owning people was okay by the law. This next section is about new states. Section 3 says, new states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, but no new state shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state be formed by the junction of two or more states or parts of states without the consent of of the legislatures, of the states concerned, as well as of the Congress. The Congress shall have the power to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States, and nothing in this Constitution shall be so construed as to prejudice any claims of the United States or of any particular state. Now, section four says the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So that section meant reminder, everyone, we have a democracy here, no kings or queens. If anyone F's with one state, the federal government will clap back in that state's honor. Okay, so how do we change this Constitution? That is what Article 5 is all about. Article 5 says, The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or on the application of the legislature's... Of two thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which, in either case, shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three fourths of the states, or by conventions in three fourths thereof, or by conventions in three fourths thereof, as one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article, and that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate." So, that Article 6 out of 7 says that the Constitution is the laws by which we make the other laws, and that before taking office, you have to super promise via oath you're not going to dick over our country. Now, the last article in this main Constitution that was put out in 1789 Article 7 says, all debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme Law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in the constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. The senators and representatives before mentioned, and the members of the several state legislatures, and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states, shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this constitution. But no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Now, the last article in this original constitution is about ratifying it. Or making it into law, which is cute, like when a character breaks the fourth wall and winks at the camera. The ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this constitution between the states so ratifying the same. done in convention by the unanimous consent of the states present on the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord, 1787, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 12th in witness thereof, we have hereunto subscribed our names. Signed, G. Washington, President and Deputy from Virginia. President is spelled President. They had some typos even though they weren't typing. It's fine. And then a bunch of other dead guys signed it. So while this is the end of the original document, don't worry. We futz with it. We amended it 27 times so far. So before we get to constitutional glow-ups and makeovers. Let's have a quick few words from sponsors of this show who make it possible to make another donation to our pneumologist Dean Fernita Tolson's cause of choice, the American Civil Liberties Union. And the ACLU is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed to every person in this country by the Constitution and the laws of the United States. So a donation was made to them, which was made possible by the following things that I like. KiwiCo. You know, I love KiwiCo because making stuff and learning while you do it the best way. And KiwiCo is great. They deliver seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. They have these hands on projects and activities. And each month, kids receive crates that are engaging and that introduce them to things like science and technology or concepts and art. And I love that all the things you need are in there. So you're not going to be running out to the store to get pipe cleaners, you're not going to run out of glue or something. And KiwiCo tests these crates with professionals and with kids to make Make them the best they can be. There's so many different projects depending on what your kiddo's interested in, what age or grade level they're at. You can discover the science of magic. You can engineer a domino machine. These make great gifts. I have given these to so many kids. And I also like that there's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel crates anytime. So redefine learning with play. You can explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at Kiwi code.com with the promo code Ologies. So that's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com promo code Ologies. They're gonna love it. Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of house plants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type your landscape design and they curate thousands of plants they got climates they got locations I am stoked about this because I've wanted a fig tree for so long and I'm like I don't know where to get the fig tree I'm not quite sure where to plant it in the yard and I went to the fast growing trees website and I was like boom I'm in zone 10 this fig tree would work well for me done. And right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code ologies at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code ologies at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code ologies. Offer is valid for a limited time, terms and conditions may apply. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures... I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold, and I am. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better, I feel ya. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Rituals like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got Ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go. Bye bye, Zs. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. Okay, let's get down and dirty with the Bill of Rights, which was ratified December 1791. Just a little preamble business up top. Congress of the United States begun and held at the City of New York on Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1789. The conventions of a number of states, having at the time of their adopting the Constitution, expressed a desire... In order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added." and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government, will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. Resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled two-thirds of both houses concurring that the following articles be proposed to the legislatures of the several states as amendments to the Constitution of the United States, all or any of which articles, then ratified by three-fourths of the said legislatures to be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the said constitution. Articles in addition to an amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America proposed by Congress and ratified by the legislatures of the several states pursuant to the fifth article of the original constitution. Remember, that fifth article was like, how do we amend this thing? This is how we do it. Okay. So let's dive in to the First Amendment. Amendment 1. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So, Amendment 1. Freedom of religion, speech, we can meet up all we want, we can call the government out on its own horse shit, and we can have a free press. Sounds good. We're starting out with the bank. Well, shoot. Speaking of explosions, Amendment 2, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That is the Second Amendment in its entirety. Now, apparently, there is a debate about whether this was meant for individuals bearing arms or for states, but fast forward, and here we are. Now, according to a recent Washington Post article, Americans made up 4% of the world's population, but owned about 46% of the entire global stock of 857 million civilian firearms, so that's nearly 400 million guns, which are more guns than there are people in this country. A Time magazine article from January noted that American civilians own more guns than those held by civilians in the other top 25 countries combined. So if you ever think your life is boring, just remember, we're another era's Black Mirror episode. So that's cool. Okay. Wow! Now, Amendment 3 reads No soldier shall, in time of peace, be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. So this means you don't have to let a soldier crash on your couch. But there are sites like uniformdating.com and Military Cupid if you want one. Sleeping in your bed. Hi. Amendment 4. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized well, locked, so back, rights, so But Caleb Mason, a law professor at Southwestern University, stated in a 2012 Gawker article about Jay-Z's 99 problems quote "If this essay serves no other purpose, I hope it serves to debunk for any readers who persist in believing it, the myth that locking your trunk will keep the cops from searching it It's completely." wrong. There is no warrant requirement for car searches. The Supreme Court has declared unequivocally unequivocally that because cars are inherently mobile, it is reasonable under the Fourth Amendment for the police to search the car, the whole car, and everything in the car, including containers, whenever they have probable cause to believe that the car contains evidence of a crime. So, Flim Flam has been debunked. So on to Amendment 5. What happens if you went to the Sean Carter School of Law and were smuggling illegal exotic lizards in the trunk and wound up arrested? Well, Amendment 5, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself or be deprived of life liberty or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So you have to be properly indicted. You can't be hauled back and tried for the same lizard crime twice. You don't have to testify against yourself and spill all the beans about your lizard caper. And the law can't steal all your stuff. As you read the Constitution, you can certainly see that it was written by a people who had been boned by monarchies and had good intentions to protect folks from some power-hungry ogres. Now, Amendment 6, Your Lizard Trial. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the Senate and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the natural and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witness against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So what does Amendment 6 mean? Quick trial, fair jury, cross-examination, the right to a lawyer. That's what I gather. Now, Amendment 7. In suits at common law, where the value and controversy shall exceed twenty dollars the right of trial by jury shall be preserved and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law so amendment seven is about federal jury trials it's not really used anymore from what I gather and that 20 spot back then was worth about three hundred fifty dollars speaking of dollars amendment eight excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. This next amendment, 9, is about rights that aren't listed here but can still be violated. So, amendment 9, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And amendment 10, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it, to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Now, Amendment 10 has been debated a bit, and some folks think it's redundant, but it means that the power not granted to the federal government belongs to the states or to the people. Now, from what I've read, this was to appease anti-federalists who worried that the federal government would be two up in the state's beeswax. So, themnar is the Bill of Rights. Now, the next 17 amendments dribbled in over the course of like 200 years. Let's very briefly get to know them, kind of like speed dating, except with your rights. Now, Amendment 11, this was ratified, 1795, the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. So this is an an adjustment to Article 3, Section 2. It's about how a citizen of one state can file a suit against another state. Now, the next amendment is about the selection of vice president. Remember, vice president used to just be runner-up. This is circa 1804. The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president, one of whom, at least, shall not be inhabitant of the same state with themselves, They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president, and in distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president, and they shall make distinct lists of all persons voted for as president, and of all persons voted for as vice president, and of the number of votes for each, which lists they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States, directed to the president of the Senate." The president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes for president shall be president, if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed, and if no person have such majority, then from the persons having the highest numbers, not exceeding three on the list of those voted for as president, the House of Representatives shall choose immediately by ballot the president but in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states. The representation from each state having one vote, a quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two thirds of the states, and a majority of all the states shall be necessary to a choice. And if the House of Representatives shall not choose a president whenever the right of choice shall devolve upon them before the fourth day of March next following, then the vice president shall act as President as in case of the death or other constitutional disability of the president. The person having the greatest number of votes as vice president shall be the vice president. If such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed, and if no person have a majority, then from the two highest numbers on the list, the Senate shall choose the vice president. A quorum for the purpose shall consist of two-thirds of the whole number of senators, and a majority of the whole number shall be necessary to a choice. But no person constitutionally ineligible to the office of the president shall be eligible to that of vice president of the United States. And if you're like, is that how it goes? Hold tight. That last part will get reworked by part of the 20th Amendment. But let's move on to Amendment 13. This is a big one. Amendment 13, Section 1. Neither slavery, Nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Section 2. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, next time anyone mentions the 13th Amendment, just know it's a very important one. It should make your heart heavy but also make you feel like kicking ass for change. Now, this next one is also a biggie, and it forms the basis for landmark cases like Brown versus Board of Education on cases about segregation and on Roe v. Wade. It was drafted to address citizenship rights and equal protection of the laws in the Reconstruction era after the Civil War and abolition. So here is the 14th. Ratified 1868. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life liberty or property without due process of law, nor denied to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Section 2: Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding Indians not taxed. Hmm? But when the right to vote at any election for the choice of electors for president and vice president of the United States, representatives in Congress, the executive and judicial officers of a state, or the members of the legislature thereof, is denied to any of the male inhabitants of such state, being 21 years of age. More on those voting details later. And citizens of the United States are in any way abridged, except for participation in rebellion or other crime. The basis of representation therein shall be reduced in the proportion which the number of such male citizens, shall bear to the whole number of male citizens 21 years of age in such state. Section three, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken oath as a member of Congress or as an author, or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability." Section 4. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law includes debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave, but all such debts, obligations, and claims Shall be held illegal and void. Section 5. The Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. That was Amendment 14. It was a doozy. It's a big one. It's a good one to know. Reread it if you get the chance. Amendment 15. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Section 2, the Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Moving on, Amendment 16, income tax is going to happen regardless of the population of your state. This was ratified in 1913. It reads the... Amendment 17. This was ratified 1913, and it tweaks Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution. It's about senators. It says the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislatures. When vacancies happen in the representation of any state in the Senate, the executive authority of such state shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies, provided that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancies by election, as the legislature may direct. This amendment shall not be so construed as to affect the election or term of any senator chosen before it becomes valid as part of the Constitution. So, from what I've read, that means that the people of the state choose the senators. Now this next one, this next one is about hooch. It's about giggle juice. It's about that devil's waterfall. Now, Amendment 18 was ratified in 1919. It reads, Section 1, after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within, the importation thereof into, or the exportation thereof from the United States and all territories subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverage purposes is hereby prohibited. Ah, yes, the Prohibition. Section 2 reads, the Congress and the several states shall have concurrent power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. And Section 3 reads, this article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by the legislatures of the several states, as provided in the Constitution within seven years from the date of submission hereof to the states by the Congress. So, spoiler alert, this will be repealed in a few more amendments. Life is an experiment. We try things, we see how they go. Cut banks, text your ex, we're all going to die. So also, as long as you're feeling empowered, let's talk about finally recognizing women as having agency and functioning brains and being human people who could vote. Amendment 19, passed by Congress, ratified 1920, says, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Yeah. 150 years after this thing was written, they were like, "Mm, fine, ladies can be people. Now, if you need to pause this to break something, you just go for it. I get it. Now, this next one is about swearing in presidents and also what to do if the president does get eaten by a pterodactyl. It was ratified in 1933, Amendment 20, Section 1. The terms of the president and the vice president shall end at noon on the 20th day of January, and the terms of senators and representatives at noon on the third day of January of the years in which such terms would have ended. If this article had not been ratified, and the terms of their successors shall then begin. Section 2. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meetings shall begin at noon, the third day of January, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. Section 3. If at the time fixed for the beginning of the term of the President, the President elect shall have died, the Vice President elect shall become president. If a president shall not have been chosen before the time fixed for the beginning of his term, or if the president-elect shall have failed to qualify, then the vice president-elect shall act as president until a president shall have qualified. And the Congress may by law provide for the case wherein neither a president-elect nor a vice president shall have qualified, declaring who shall then act as president or the manner in which one who is to act shall be selected and such person shall act accordingly until a president or a vice president shall have qualified. Section four. that Congress may by law provide for the case of the death of any of the persons from whom the House of Representatives may choose a president whenever the right of choice shall have devolved upon them, and for the case of the death of any of the persons from whom the Senate may choose a vice president whenever the right of choice shall have devolved upon them. Section 5, Section 1 and 2 shall take effect on the 15th day of October following the ratification of this article. Section 6, this article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states within seven years from the date of its submission. Whew, okay. Is all this talk about deaths making you thirsty? Well, you're in luck, because here comes the 21st Amendment. Ratified 1933, the 18th article of amendment to the constitution of the United States is hereby repealed. That prohibition thing, forget about it. Screw it. We're fine. Let's, let's drink again. <laughs> Section two, the transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating li- liquors in violation of the laws therein is hereby prohibited. The transportation or importation into any state, territory, or possession of the United States for delivery or use therein of intoxicating liquors in violation of the laws thereof is hereby prohibited. This article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by conventions in the several states as provided in the Constitution within seven years from the date of the submission hereof to the United States by the Congress. Whoo! Okay, so after 14 years of illegality, go ahead and have a drink. It's a Great Depression. Everything's depressing. You might as well be hungover, I suppose. Now, if you're pining for past presidents, this next amendment will kill your dreams by setting some term limits. So, Amendment 22... Ratified 1951, Section 1, no person shall be elected to the office of the president more than twice, and no person who has held the office of the president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of president More than once. But this article shall not apply to any person holding the office of president when this article was proposed by Congress and shall not prevent any person who may be holding the office of the president or acting as president during the term within this article becomes operative from holding the office of president or acting as president during the remainder of such term. Section 2. This article shall be inoperative unless it shall have been ratified as an amendment to the Constitution by the legislatures of three fourths of the several states within seven years from the date of its submission to the states. The Congress. Okay, term limits. There you go. That was Amendment 22. Now, Amendment 23 throws a bone or three to DC. Amendment 23, ratified 1961, Section 1. The district constituting the seat of government of the United States shall appoint in such manner as Congress may direct. A number of electors of president and vice president equal to the whole number of senators and representatives in Congress to which the district would be entitled if it were a state, but in no event more than the least populous state. They shall be in addition to those appointed by the states, but they shall be considered for the purpose of the election of president and vice president to be electors appointed by a state, and they shall meet in the district and perform such duties as provided by the 12th article of amendment. Section 2, Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, Washington, D.C., they get three votes in the Electoral Congress. Amendment 24, also about voting. It's all about not charging a poll tax. This was ratified 1964. The right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election for president or vice president, for electors, for president or vice president, or for senator or representative's in Congress shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state by reason of failure to pay poll tax or other tax. Section two, the Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So next time it's election day, if for no other reason, just go because it's a free activity. Also, when I vote in November elections, my neighbors sometimes have a bowl of leftover Halloween candy out. And fun trivia, Jordan Peele goes to my polling place and that's exciting. Amendment 25 is all about the line to the presidential throne. This is a long one. It was passed after JFK's assassination, but in the event of a pterodactyl, I guess it's good we have it ironed out. Okay, Amendment 25, ratified 1967. Section 1. In case of the removal of the president from office or of his death or resignation, the vice president shall become president. Section 2. Whenever there is a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president shall nominate a vice president who shall take office upon confirmation by a majority vote of both houses of Congress. Section 3. Whenever the president transmits to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. And until he transmits to them a written declaration to the contrary, such powers and duties shall be discharged by the vice president as Acting President. Section 4. Whenever the Vice President and a majority of either the principal officers of the Executive Departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the President pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the Vice President shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as Acting President. Thereafter, when the President transmits to the President pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, his written declaration that no inability exists, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office, unless the Vice President and a majority of either the principal officers of the Executive Department or of such other body, as Congress may by law provide, transmit within four days to the President pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives, their written declaration that the President is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue, assembling within 48 hours for that purpose, if not in session. If the Congress, within 21 days after receipt of the latter written declaration, or if Congress is not in session within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines by two-thirds vote of both houses that the president is unable to discharge powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall continue to discharge the same as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the powers and duties of his office. There you go. That's who's driving the boat if something goes down. All right. Amendment 26 is among the most Quickly passed. It was in response to the Vietnam War and being eligible for the draft and being eligible for the draft but not having a voice to vote. So, Amendment 26, second to last one. This was ratified 1971. It says, Section 1, the right of citizens of the United States who are 18 years of age and older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. Section 2, the Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. And lastly, (laughs) Amendment 27, proposed... In 1789, it took over 200 freaking years to ratify. Amendment 27, ratified 1992, reads, No law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. It's about salaries for representatives. We did it. We made it. We read the golden constitution. Are you proud? I'm proud of us. That, my friends, is the sound of applause. Next time someone brags about reading Infinite Jest, be like, you know what? I listened to ologies, nomology, part two. We read the goddamn constitution. So ask smart people stupid questions, fight for your rights, fight for the rights of others, and, and make some noise until things change. Now, as Frenita Tolson said, we're only doing as well as the least fortunate people in our society. And as Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a demand. So go out, maybe seek office. What if you did that? I just Just think about it. So thank you so much for listening this far. I am so proud of you that you did. Thanks for sticking with me through that old town road ride through history. And I'll see you next week. We'll learn what the hell bleaches and how it works. Now, Fernita Tolson is at P-R-O-F Tolson, Prof Tolson on Twitter. We are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Allie Ward with one L on both. More info about all of this is up at allieward.com slash ologies slash nomology. Merch is available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Shannon Filtis and Bonnie Dutch of the charming and hilarious podcast, You Are That, for managing that. Thank you, Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo for adminning the Ologies podcast Facebook group. Thank you, Stephen Ray Morris for editing this one, slapping it all together overnight. Thank you, Jared Sleeper, for putting scrambled eggs into Brio Shot Dog Buns. It's really good. Yeah, uh, the theme song was written by Nick Thorburn. And if you stick around to the very end of the episode, you know, I tell you a secret. Now, a week or two ago, I went to Hawaii on a squidding expedition with Sarah McAnulty. And either the way I was sitting on the plane and working on my laptop or squidding or something, I tweaked a muscle in my neck so badly that I had to go into urgent care Because they thought maybe it was meningitis caused by rat lungworm, which is apparently pretty prevalent in slugs on the island. And I will tell you, I touched more than one slug. So I thought, I wonder if this is going to be fatal meningitis. Turns out it's not. It's a pulled muscle. They gave me some muscle relaxers, which didn't even work. Anyway, I'm recording this and it hurts so much. So I just want you to know, not only did I just read you 7,500 words of the Constitution, I was in excruciating pain throughout. I hope that didn't come through. (laughs) This hurts so much. Okay. (laughs) This sucks so bad. Okay. All right. I'm just going to, that's it. That's my secret. My secret is apparently you can hurt yourself going squidding. There's a lot of looking down into the water and it is a neck strain, but I wouldn't have changed a thing. It was the best. I had a dream that I went squidding and that I saw many, many squids in the water. Anyway. Okay. That is it. Please run for office. Please attend some protests. Write your senators. Make some noise. Thank you for listening to the Constitution. You matter and it matters. Okay. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology, Cryptozoology. Can you tell me about the Constitution? Hey, learn about the USA. Hey, mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle.